So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to, I'm going to get out of the chair and I'm going to use the TV and we're going to use my favorite thing in the world, the whiteboard. So we're going to walk through Galatians chapter three. So the, the whole, the whole idea of the letter for that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, right? If you're new with us, um, was the idea that Paul had planted these churches after he left, right? These, these folks came into the church and began to teach that truly, right? To truly be saved, to truly honor God, not only was faith in Jesus, right? A part of it, but they needed to add something to it. They needed to add the reality that we needed to be circumcised and we needed to be able to keep the law of God, right? When Paul heard about what was happening back in these churches, he penned this letter, which most, most commentators believe is the earliest letter that Paul wrote in, his, uh, in all of his letters that he wrote to the churches. And it's easily one of the most intense letters that Paul writes because he's angry. And what he's angry at is what is still happening today and what has happened for years in decades and centuries in churches. And that's the idea that there is a perverted gospel that is being preached in churches. And he defends the gospel in chapter one and chapter two. And when he gets to chapter three, he gets into the nuts and bolts of why what the Galatians are being taught is a perverted gospel. And here's my hope tonight. I want to walk through, right, how that works so that you can see it. And then from it, I want to take one really practical question and challenge you with it. Because at the end of the day, my, I've, got a, I've got a great friend, my, my dear, dear friend of mine. He's been friends of mine for 26 years, raised in the church. I wasn't raised in the church. We didn't even know each other until... Um, I was 31 years old and he had moved in next door before I got there and he was going through a terrible divorce and, uh, he was a mess and we had, I'd moved back to my hometown and, and we just became friends and we've been friends for 26 years. He's easily my dearest friend. And I would say I was his as well, but his entire life, he has struggled with this idea of a perverted gospel. He has struggled with the idea that there's something about your relationship with God that you and I have to earn to receive. And listen, his father was a Marine. His father's father was a Marine. My friend was raised in a home where you got up and you bucked up and you pulled your pants up and you did your thing and you earned what you deserved. And that was taught in the churches too. It's been taught in, in, in forever in churches that Yes, Jesus is your savior. Yes, accepting Jesus is the way to be saved. But there's only one real way to assure yourself that you're saved, and that's earning it. You've got to do certain things. You've got to be a certain way. There's certain things you can't have in your life. And there's certain things you've got to have in your life. And the reality is we've taught forever that if those things didn't exist in your life and you were struggling with certain things in your life, your salvation could be in jeopardy. Anybody go to a church like that? Well, thankfully, not a lot of you. You'll find that it isn't just the teaching of the church. It's a desire of the devil. And the, dire, the devil's greatest desire for you 
is to find another way to be saved other than Jesus. Because in Jesus, that's the only way Satan can be defeated. Amen? So what Satan's desire is, is for you and I to find a new way. Because he doesn't care. Satan could care less if you accept Jesus. Because he knows that accepting Jesus can also be attacked. And you can convince yourself, as I know some of you in here have, and some of you online are doing, and that's this. You've accepted Jesus, but you have convinced yourself that there's something missing in you. That there's more that you can do. That there's better you should do. And because of that, your confidence in what Jesus did for you has waned over the years. And so you're not as sure as you once did. You love church and you're grateful to be here and you love worship and you like what the church does and the folks that we minister to. But your personal confidence and your personal relationship with God based upon your performance has left you concerned. It's left you afraid. So in Galatians 3, Paul begins to walk through the meat of why this is a perverted gospel. I want to do the same thing with you. right. So we're going to go through these four timelines, hopefully rather quickly. So I can get to the question, okay? So just track with me to the end. We'll get through it. We're going to read scriptures in the middle of this and try to tie it together. So Paul in chapter 3 is going to begin with this man, Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Abraham's the guy that God showed up with in Genesis and found him in a land called Ur and said to you, said to Abraham, come, I need you to leave right now where you live, and I need you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Started with him. And then in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3, God makes a promise to Abraham. Let's read those words. Genesis 12, here's what God said to Abraham. He said, the Lord has said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I Listen to this. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And listen to this, all peoples, everybody say all peoples, all peoples, not the Jews, not just the Jews, but all peoples, men and women, young and old, black and white, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. He says all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. He goes on to say, I'll make you into a great nation. Bring that, bring that one back that one back. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. He said, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God picks Abraham. He makes a promise. And what Paul's going to say in this promise is that the gospel, the good news is preached the first time because all peoples, All peoples, even though Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish nation, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because what we're going to read later is that Jesus is ultimately the offspring of Abraham that blesses all people. Because who can be saved? Say all peoples. All peoples. And that came through Abraham. So in Genesis 12, we see the gospel preached for the first time. So Abraham is picked. God makes a promise. And then Abraham believes that promise. Listen to Genesis 15. Because Abraham and Sarah don't have any kids. 
Sarah's barren and Abraham's old. And God goes, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, if you're going to be a great nation, you're going to have to have what? You're going to have to have a boy. I can't make you a great family. I can't make you a great nation if I can't make you a great family. And guess what? They don't have any kids. And we're now a decade into the promise. And if God has promised you something and he's waited 10 years to keep your promise, how are you feeling, church? Anybody struggling with believing God if he's waited 10 years? Anybody? Come on, man. Everybody does. And so Abraham's got some concerns. And so guess what? Genesis 15, 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and I'm your great reward. Here's what Abraham said. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who's going to inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant, right? You promised I'd be a great nation and it's been 11 years and I don't have a baby, right? So what are you going to do for me, God? It's a completely fair question. Would you agree, church? Right? 11 years is a long time to wait on anybody to keep a promise, let alone God. Right? He goes on to say, Abraham says, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So I'm not even going to give my stuff to a blood relative. He goes on to say, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said this, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took Abram outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. Can't really do that as well here as you can in some places in the world. He said, if indeed you can count those stars, so shall your offspring greet. Listen, you've waited 11 years for God to keep this promise. You don't have a baby. Your wife is barren. You are old. And this guy says, if you can count the stars in heaven, that's how much your offspring is going to be. I don't know about you, but after 11 years of waiting, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Anybody else? I mean, listen, if you say, if you say that you have no problem with that, I call liar. Because lots of you are dealing with people that have said, hey, I'm going to be somewhere at eight o'clock and they show up at nine and they did it once and bam, you never believe them again. Right? I know how that works. Right? 11 years. And now God goes, I know it's been 11 years. Just count the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. Right? But look what Abraham does in verse six, bring verse six back up. Everybody read this with me. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as what? Notice he didn't say Abraham believed in the Lord. Listen, there's not enough to just and point to heaven and say, I believe in God. No, no, no. The Bible says he believed the Lord. What did he believe about the Lord? He believed what the Lord had, what? What he said, and more importantly, what he promised. And when Abraham believed God in that moment, the Bible says, using an accounting term, righteousness was put into his account. Meaning, all of a sudden, he was completely right with who? Did he earn it? Did he earn it? No, he didn't earn it. Did he deserve it? No, he didn't deserve it. God made a promise and he went, you're not keeping your word, right? He didn't deserve it, but he got it 
based upon his belief in God's word. Everybody tracking with that? Abraham's picked, promises made, the gospel's preached. Abraham believes it. Now, this is the cool part. Covenant is made by God and confirmed by God. All right? Listen to what it says in Genesis 15. This is right after. So God says, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a nation. Count the stars. It'll be as many as you are. Abraham says, I believe it. And God goes, I'm going to give your account full access to complete righteousness. It's pretty amazing. That simple. But look what happens. He also, this is Abraham talking. Abram says to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the, out of Ur of Chaldees to give you the land to take possession of it. He's confirming a part of the promise, right? Listen to what Abram says. Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Listen, you should be encouraged here. Just because you believe God and God credits to you as righteous doesn't mean you're not going to have seasons and moments where you're still going to doubt. Can I get an amen? Anybody that tells you that doubt is contradictory to faith, you just look at them and say, get behind me, Satan. Okay? Because doubt is a part of the process. Abraham just said, I believe you. And God went, bam, you're righteous. And the very next question Abraham says is, how am I supposed to know you're going to keep your word? Right? We get all freaked out when our teenagers doubt. Calm down. It's a part of the process. And look what God says. Look what God says. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old. He says, along with a dove and a young pigeon. All the things that were needed for a sacrifice. Abram Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and he arranged them in halves, opted each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Right? So he's got... He's got these animals cut in half and he's created a walkway. Half on one side and half on the other. Everybody picturing that? Right? Look what he says. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram Abram drove them away. So these dead carcasses are laying cut in half with this walkway between them. And the birds are trying to eat him and Abram's driving away. As the sun sets, Abram falls into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him. The Lord said to him in the middle of this, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, predicting Egypt, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Again, referring to the bondage in Egypt. He says, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Listen, when the Israelites left Egypt, they plundered that place. They were rich beyond their wildest imaginations. He says, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, you, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Listen to this. This is the powerful part. God picks Abram. He makes a promise, which is the gospel. He, Abraham believes the promise and God gives him righteousness. And then God doesn't just make the covenant. He confirms it. Look what happens. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Remember, carcass on the left, carcass on the right. We're walking down the middle. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. Listen. How many people are in here are, in here are married? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you in here have signed a document and partnered with either a bank 
or a lender to buy a car, buy a house, buy anything. Right? When we make those arrangements, right, when it's marriage, when it's agreement, when it's a partnership, whatever, how many parties minimum does it take to have that kind of agreement? One or two? Everybody say two, right? That's the way it works, right? There's a lot of shows that I like to watch and they used to seal their partnerships by spitting in their palm and shaking hand. Anybody ever do that? That was back when somebody's word meant something, you know? Did you see what God did? God set up a ceremony for a covenant agreement between two parties. And he made sure that the one party was asleep during it. And God himself walked between these halves. Now, back in that day, that's the way people would make an agreement. They'd line these carcasses up. The two of them would walk through it. And that was their way of saying, our word is our bond. We're now in covenant together. We're now in agreement. That was, that was the way they signed a covenant back then. How many people in this story walked through these dead carcasses? How many people walked through it? Everybody say this. One, not two, one. And who was the one person that walked through it? God did. You know what God said? I'm not only going to make the covenant, I'm going to be responsible myself for keeping it. Abram, you've got no responsibility in keeping this covenant. It'll all be on me. And here's what I know of 30 years of marriage and 30 years of ministry. If I'm counseling a couple and only one partner is carrying the weight, you know how long that marriage lasts? Not very long. Because most of our agreements depend on how many people, right? God made a covenant promise with Abram based on one person's ability to make the covenant and keep it. And it was God alone. That's incredibly significant, church. Abram was freed from his responsibility to the covenant. Because once Abram believed and God credited to him, God went, I'm going to, I'm going to make this covenant with you and I'm going to be responsible, solely responsible for keeping it. Listen, let me just ask you a practical question. If you're in a marriage and you and your partner are in it and you say, listen, I don't care. Listen, I'm telling you right now, no matter what happens, I'm never going to let our marriage fall apart. We're never going to get divorced. I don't care. I'm going to make this promise to you and I'm going to keep it for both of us. If you know that one person is going to carry the load for you, what do you think you're going to do in the process? Eventually, you're going to do what with it? You're going to treat it like garbage and do whatever you want to do because you know what you know? No matter what, they're going to carry the load. I don't have to pick up after myself. I don't have to do the dishes. I don't have to take out the trash. I don't have to pay the bills. I don't have to come home when I'm supposed to. I don't do any of that stuff because guess what? No matter what, they're going to what? Keep the promise. Don't you think some people who get what God does for them in the covenant promise take advantage of it once in a while? Yes or no? Stop freaking out when they do. It happens. And you know what? God was smart enough to know when he made the promise and said, I'll keep it no matter what you do, that some people were going to take advantage of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's, let, listen, let's pump the brakes a little bit on panic and when people are, oh, they're taking advantage of. Of course they are. God just told them, I'm going to keep it no matter what you do. Oh, let's see if that's true, right? People go through that process. God is big enough, smart enough, and strong enough to deal with that. Can I get an amen? And here's the thing. You've forgotten that you did the same thing. And God 
took care of it for you. Some of you are here, some of you are watching online, and you've been on a hiatus in this covenant agreement forever and a day. And now you're afraid to come back. Guess what? It's still secure because God made it and kept it. Can I get an amen? Abraham chose gospel preached. Abraham believed covenant made confirmed by God. So Abraham believes, we saw in Genesis 15, God confirms and makes the covenant by himself in Genesis 15. And then guess what? The law shows up. The law shows up. 430 years later, Moses comes down off a mountain with tablets that say, God says thou shalt not. Right? Listen to this, Genesis or Galatians 3. Brothers, let's take, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Meaning this covenant here, right? This covenant here that God makes and confirms by walking between these dead carcasses, he says, can be taken to or, or can be added to or taken away. Listen to what he says. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. Listen to this. The law that came after the covenant, right? He says the law introduced 430 years. Everybody say 430 years. That's a long time. Can you agree with that church? God makes this covenant agreement and says, I'm going to keep this no matter what. And 430 years later, the law shows up and it says this, the law introduced four and three years later does not, does not set aside the covenant, right? This thing here doesn't set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. You've got to get this. This, the law, never ever was intended to nullify the promise that God made to Abraham that all, all nations and all peoples on the earth will be blessed by you. So the law didn't come to do this. It wasn't replacing. It's not like it's a second wife or a better car or a different girlfriend or boyfriend, right? This... This, the law, did not come and nullify how we make ourselves right with God, which is through God's promise and through our belief. It didn't come for that purpose. He says, for the inheritance, for if the inheritance, if what God promises us depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a what? Promise. But God in his grace gave to Abraham through a promise. Listen. Wish I'd have brought a third, a second person out here. Just pretend there's somebody standing here and pretend we're here at our wedding and two people stand up here and the preacher says a bunch of gobbledygook, right? No purpose of having a preacher there except for the fact that he's there on God's behalf. But the whole entire ceremony and the whole entire arrangement moving forward in a wedding ceremony is based upon two people making a what to each other. Come on, everybody say it. And here's my promise. I promise we say these dumb words. I promise to love and respect and keep you when you're sick and dying and broke and right. 
I mean, have we ever thought about the stuff we say when we stand up here? Right? Listen, I'm going to keep you when you're dead and broke. Right? But we, but we say that stuff, and here's what we say. It's based on a what? A promise. <clears throat> and then you leave, and you go on your honeymoon, and everything's grand. And then you come home. And then all of a sudden, guess what your marriage is really based on? The law. Because what do you fight about? Broken promises? Nah, sometimes. But the majority of people that we counsel aren't fighting about broken promises. You know what they're fighting about? They broke the law. They don't do this and they didn't do that. And they said this and then they didn't do this. And then they don't pick up after themselves and they won't ever help. They won't ever do the dishes. They never help me with the kids. I'm always the bad guy. They're always the fun person. Blah, 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 blah. And here's what happens. We get married based on a what? Come on, say it. Promise. But we stay married based on the what? You know it's true. <laughs> and some of you are quiet because you're like, oh my gosh. Right? You tell your kids you love them based on a what? A promise. But as you raise them, they realize that most parents' love is predicated on the what? You see how that happens? Does everybody see how that happens? Right? That's the way it works. Now listen, I'm painting with a huge broad brush. I get all of that. But our world is full of 8 billion people. So I can afford to use a broad brush. But the reality is this, that what Abraham says is this covenant, that God made based on what Abraham believed about this promise was not nullified by the law's appearance. You're, I'm just going to be practical for a second. Your marriage shouldn't be nullified by all of the demands you have on your partner either. If you tell me your marriage stinks and then you give me a list of the rules that they broke, I can tell you right now, your marriage doesn't stink. You've got some really faulty thought processes. Because what you should have said when you stood on the altar was, Here's 27 things that I demand that you do. As opposed to saying, I'm going to love you and respect you. You should have just been honest. But we're not. We make this unbelievable promise and we don't even know what that person is going to be like in 15 years. They may just stop. Listen, they may just stop shaving. They may just grow their hair out. They may wake up one day and want to have a buzz cut. Right? They may one day want to join a biker, biker group. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, right? Because what happens is, in so much of our life, the law nullifies the promise. But Paul says it doesn't happen that way with God. It doesn't nullify the promise. Because the covenant remains in place. And the covenant remains in place, so does the promise. And the promise is, all families on the earth will be blessed through you. Through Jesus. Right? And how was that accessed? It was accessed through faith. Listen to what, listen to what it says in, in, in uh, Galatians three nineteen and 20. So what was the purpose of this law then? If it didn't come to nullify that, then why did we even need to have it? Listen to what it says. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions or sins until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels. Into a mediator, the angels are the ones that delivered the law to Moses. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Listen, here's why the law came. Because the law 
likes to count and remind. How many of you break the speed limit regularly? And how many of you even pay attention to it until you see a sign that says speed limit 55, right? Most of us break the speed limit and we don't even think about it until we see the sign that says, here's the speed limit, right? How many of you have ever gone into the 20 items less thing at Walmart or wherever, and you don't even pay attention to the 20 items less thing until the guy, either the person behind you or the cashier goes, uh... You got more than 20 things. Because up until then, you're like, who cares? You see, the reason the law came was to remind you that you're a what? Come on, say it. Listen, why do you think your spouse has all those rules? To remind you that you're a what? Yeah, you're lucky. That's what it's there to remind you of. You're lucky that they're still with you, that they picked you, right? Listen, the law's single purpose is this, to remind people who like to forget that you're a sinner. Because 430 years can cause some people to forget what they're really like. True? So the law came in so that you and I would be reminded we're not perfect people. You see, some some of you are so fortunate because you're married to people who are really big mess-ups. And some of you have gotten away with thinking you're perfect because the person you're married to is so much worse than you. And I say that, I say that because I counsel people all the time. And it is amazing to me how many people honestly think there's only one person responsible for a bad relationship. And almost always it's one person who's fortunate enough to be married to somebody who's a lot worse than they are. And guess what they've forgotten? They've forgotten that they're not all that they think they are. You see what the law does? is the law counts and reminds. It doesn't nullify. It doesn't invalidate the covenant. So it came to count, the covenant remains, and the promise remains. One more verse, one more verse there. Uh, go to Romans 7 there in that 11 to, or 7 to 14. This is from the New Living Translation. Love this passage. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful. So if this thing here only reminds us how bad we are, is this thing here, the law, bad? He says, am I suggesting the law of God is bad? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. How do you know that you're driving over the speed limit unless you see a speed limit sign? You get it? How do you know that taking 20 items, more than 20 items in that lane is wrong unless you see the what? sign. He says, I'd have never known that coveting was wrong if God had not said, thou shall not covet. Because guess what? To a human, coveting seems what? Seems natural. Hey, you got what I want. I'd like to have that. That seems pretty normal, right? That's the way that works. Paul says, I wouldn't even have known that was wrong unless the law had said that's wrong. And guess what? He says, but sin, listen to this, sin, right? Use the command to arouse in me all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have any of that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. 
But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life in me and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life. Listen, God's desire and his laws are always designed for our good. Can I get an amen? He says those laws were supposed to bring life, but they brought spiritual death instead. Sin in you and me took advantage of those commands and what? Deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. How could they not be? They're based upon who God is. But how can that be, Paul says? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin, listen to this, sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human and a slave to sin. Listen, some of you are rule followers. Let, let me see the hands of my rule followers. Come on, come on. There's a handful of you here, right? Yeah, good for you. So some of this to you, to you in general, doesn't make sense because you look at yourself and go, well, listen, just because I see a rule that says I shouldn't do it, I'm not motivated to do it. That's what most, some of you rule followers would say. Listen, just being told, listen, when you're, when you're told don't do this, your mindset goes, well, I'm not doing that then. And you're going to do whatever it can to not do that. I don't know if you noticed how many hands were up with the rule followers, but it was a very small percentage. Because you don't want to know what most of us are like. Most of us are motivated by something that tells us we can't do it. We just are. And here's the thing, even rule followers, are motivated to do some things wrong based upon certain commands. They just have to be married to those of us who are a lot worse than they are, right? But here's the way the concept worked. The law came, the covenant remained in place, the promise was still intact, but it ultimately becomes accessed by faith, the promise does, and not by works of the law. Because here's all the law does. The law counts your transgressions, and remind you of them. How does that work? Because when we're told you can't do this, sin, and what's sin? It's the knowledge of good and evil. Sin says, don't do that. And guess what gets aroused in you? A desire to do what? That. Or if sin says, or the law says, don't do that. Sin comes in, the knowledge of good and evil, and says, yeah, but you know what? That would be so much fun. Right? That's the way that works in people. And listen, you, you know it's true. You know it's true. You just don't know how to explain it. Because there are some of you who are in a marriage or in a relationship and you like, you like to make lists for your spouse or partner to do. Right? And you think it's helpful. Right, you got the you got the list, and you hey, we need to do these things, right? And your partner doesn't do any of them, and you can't for life you figure out why in the world would my partner not just 
take out the trash, and water the dog, and do this. Why would they not do that? You can't figure out why they won't do the list. Here's why. It's really simple. Because the list created a desire into them not to do the list. That's the way the law works with the majority of people. So guess what I tell people? Stop making lists. Because all the list is going to do is count and remind. You didn't get into this relationship based upon the list. You got into it based on a what? A promise. Now all of a sudden you want them to stay in the, in the relationship based upon the list. Does that make any sense to you? No. And here's the problem. Our knowledge of good and evil ultimately arouses in us a desire to not do what we're told. And every person, even those who said they're rule followers, have their areas where being told no simply arouses them to do the yes. They just don't have to own it as much because they're so much more disciplined than the majority of us are. But they have the same issues. So he says, the promise remains, and here's how it's accessed. I want, to, I want to read this verse. Yeah, Romans 4.13. Listen to this. He says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. This promise right here, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a bunch of land. And I'm going to bless all peoples through you. That was not a promise that Abraham accessed because he obeyed the law. He accessed he accessed the promise because he believed. Everybody say believe. And because he believed, he got the promise. Faith allowed him to access the promise. Paul says it wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by what? Come on, everybody say faith. Faith, persuasion. That God is telling the truth that he can, that he can keep his word, right? He goes on to say in verse 14, for if those who live by law are heirs, listen, if you can get the promise of the gospel by keeping the law, faith has no value and the promise becomes worthless. You see two people stand on a stage or in a park or near a river or in their bedroom, or wherever, and they say before God and these witnesses, I promise to love you, and to honor you, and to cherish you, in sickness and in health, right? For richer, for poorer, till death do us part. And 50% of those promises are broke within seven years of marriage. You want to know why? Because the law showed up. And even though the relationship began with a promise, here's what 50% of couples learn. That unless you obey the law, the promise doesn't remain. Happens all the time. Now listen, there's adultery, right? There's, there's times that the promise, the covenant is broken, and that's a different story. But the large majority of people who make a promise find their marriage in trouble because the law showed up. And guess what? You learn pretty quickly that the promise of another person's love is almost always predicated on keeping the rules. That's exactly what the perverted gospel was telling the Galatian believers. 
Hey, you got saved because you believed in Jesus. Let's hear it, church. Woohoo! And then some people came in and said, but the only way you're going to keep it is by following the rule. And Paul says, you've been bewitched. And that word in the Greek for bewitched is you've had an evil spell cast on you. You've had a perverted gospel sold to you. And you're going to say, well, that's not me, Cord. I don't have that perverted gospel. Hang on. Listen to verse 15 says in Romans. Or go, 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 to, go, to, go to that next verse there, David. Romans 3, 21 to 22. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? If I can't get to the promise based upon keeping a law, so is this thing then opposed to the promise? He says this, absolutely not. For if the law had been given, that could have imparted life. It could have made you right with God. Then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture, the scripture, God's word declares that the whole world, everybody say the whole world. That means you. That means your child, that means your grandchild, your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your neighbor, your enemy, your coworker. The whole world is a prisoner of what? Sin. And you know what sin is? Here's a law and I can't do it or I don't want to do it. A prisoner of sin is a person who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. Anybody in here that applied to? Let me hear you say yes. Anybody in here ever been told not what not to do and did it anyway, let me hear you say often, right? That's us. And guess what? That makes us a prisoner of sin. So he says the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus might be given to those who what? Believe. Come on, say that like you mean it. Believe. Do you realize that everything that God gives you is based upon one thing? Your belief in God's promise. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. I guarantee you that some of you in here and some of you watching online are living a perverted gospel. Because you bought that at one point in time. But somewhere along the line, the law showed up. And now you're trying to earn God's promise based on what you deserve. I guarantee it. Listen to what he says. Okay, so we did, we did this one. Access by faith and not by works of the law. Right? So the law comes, but the covenant isn't affected. The promise still stands. And the Bible says we access the promise based upon faith. We just read it. And not by works of the law. And everybody in here should say to God, what? Thank you. Everybody say thank you. You realize that God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you based upon his promise that you believe. Can I hear you say thank you? Right? That's good stuff. Listen to this. So the promise remains. What promise? That all families on the earth will be blessed through you. That the gospel's coming. Jesus is making his way. That's access by faith and not by works of law. Isn't everybody in here glad you don't have to earn salvation? Can I hear you say amen? He says this. But sin conceives in, is conceived in us and controls us by using the law. And everybody, I don't care if you're a rule breaker or a rule follower, everybody in here knows the power of a rule that says, thou shalt not, and then something inside of you says, but thou shalt, right? We all know that. 
You may do it once and I may do it 10 times. I may do it a hundred times and you may do it five, but everybody knows the power of it. Can I please hear you say that's true? It's 100% true. He says this. So Jesus lived and died to free us from the bondage of sin, law, and death. Did you get that? So everybody in here has known the right thing to do it at one point in time and not done it. Amen? And everybody in here and everybody watching online has known the wrong thing to do and did it anyway. Can I hear you say amen? That immediately makes you a prisoner of sin. The question is, how do you get out of it? How do you get out of being a prisoner? Somebody has to set you what? Somebody got to set you free. Jesus lived and died to set you free. Because what he did on the cross paid your debt, posted your bail, took your guilty verdict, and he went to the cross for you. And guess what? You're free from that. And you know why you're a believer today? You know why you confessed your sins and why you accepted Jesus and were baptized? Because you believed that truth. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Man, and how many of you are grateful for that truth? Right? Yeah, awesome. You can clap for that. That's awesome. The question is, are you still living that way? Are you still living like you believe it? So here's the question. How do you maintain or keep the promise that God makes you in place for yourself? The Bible says that God made a promise to us in Jesus and we access that by faith and we don't have to earn it. And everybody in here and online says, amen. The question is, how do you maintain it? How do you maintain it? Because I've been married 31 years. I've been divorced. And I've counseled people for 30 plus years in ministry. And here's what I know. Lots of people who make promises to each other end up breaking those promises simply because... Law came and it counted and it reminded. And you know what people get tired of? People get tired of being counted and reminded. And eventually they've had enough. So the question is, how do you keep that promise in place? How many have been a Christian for more than five years? How many of you have been following Jesus for more than 10? How many of you have been following Jesus more than 15? More than 20? More than 25? I don't even want to know past that, right? Anybody in here ever struggle with counting their own failures against Jesus? Sure you have. And my question is, why are you counting? What in the world is the point of you counting? Jesus says to you, I've made you a promise. And you can access that promise of my righteousness on your behalf if you simply believe in me. Anybody in here do that? How many of you have accepted the promise of God through faith in Jesus? Say amen. Amen. Right? So why are you counting? You see, here's what I know about human nature, man. We like to count. We love to count. And here's the thing. If we just counted for counting's sake, it would be fine. Right? We'd be like that character on Sesame Street. Right? Whatever that, that character, what was that character like to count? Well, <laughs> wow. Count, right? 
One, two, three, right? See, here's what I know about so many of us. Our human nature is to count. And listen, you know what we're counting? We're counting everything. We're counting the good things and the bad things. Because we want to be reminded, we want to be reminded of something that's not true. We want 430 years to pass so we don't have to remember who we are. So we count. We count in hopes of finding something in us that's worth redeeming. And here's the problem today. More people are counting than ever and they're finding out that their counting leads them to one un... It's one thing they can't get away from. And that is, there's nothing in me that's worth redeeming. Suicide's on the rise. Children between the ages of 11 and 17 are killing themselves today at a higher rate than they ever have. 11 to 17. Why? Because they're watching social media. They're following their friends. And they're counting. And here's what they're left to believe. There's nothing in me worth being reminded of. And they take their lives. And it's not just happening to people from 11 to 17. It's the number two killer for people 18 to 24. And it's not just happening in 24-year-olds. It's happening all the way up. Addiction's on the rise. Heroin use is out of control. People are taking prescription medications like never before. Alcohol sales are higher than they've ever been. You want to know why? Because ultimately people who count are ultimately reminded of something they don't know what to do with. But then there's some of you who count and man, you're in good shape. You've counted and you're like, man, I am good. Man, my balance is really, really high. Man, I, I, I'm a good person. I don't miss work. I love those people. I went to work for 50 years and never missed a day. Well, that's your own fault, right? Like, but we count the dumbest things. And you know what some of you have done? You've convinced yourself in counting that you're an amazing human being. As a matter of fact, you're so amazing, you're better than the person you're married to. You're certainly better than the child you're raising. You're better than the person you work with. You're better, better than the person you're dating. Some of you have counted to the point that, man, you have really, really honed in on the fact that, man, people got a long way to go to keep up with me. You see, what happens is we make a promise and we enter into something that is based on a promise. And the worst part is the person standing over here buys it and believes it and thinks that we'll be together based on a promise. And then the law comes. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, things began to fall apart. Because guess what? You're married to a lawbreaker. You're married to a lawbreaker. And so the question is, how do you maintain the promise in yourself? Well, most of us do the same thing. There's only two choices. We either buckle down and we try harder. Okay, I promise I'll do better. Right? And so we work really hard and that works for a while because God fear is a motivating factor, is it not? I don't want to be divorced. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be broken up. I don't want to lose my job. So guess what? That external motivation makes us great for a period. And then guess what happens? Our humanity begins to weigh in and it has a vote. And we begin to fail. And eventually, you know what happens to people who fail enough? They quit. 
They just give up. They just quit and they give up. You see, the only way to maintain the promise is the same way you got into the promise. Listen, listen to this verse. Galatians uh, 3.23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners of the law, locked up until faith should be revealed, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, right? So law came, bring us to Christ. Move past that one. I, I didn't even see the time. Look at Romans, um, Romans 8, the last verse there, 8 and 9. He says, these controlled by the sinful nature cannot please, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Okay. How does God know you're his? It's really simple. You either have the Holy spirit or you don't. Can I get an amen? That's it. That's the identifying mark. Listen to the question. That he asked in Galatians 3, and then I'm going to be done. He says in, in chapter 3 and verse 2, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit and the promises by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? How did you become a Christian? Because you kept the law or you believed? Let me hear you. Come on, let me hear you. You believed. Listen to what he says. He says... Verse three, are you so foolish that after beginning by means of belief and the spirit, are you now trying to complete this race by means of the flesh? You see, here's what most of us do, right? Most of us, most of us operate in this world of fear and bondage because the law comes and we count and we're reminded. I don't know about you, but the minute I start counting, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And here's what happens when I start counting. I get afraid. I get afraid what's going to happen. I get afraid that I'm going to lose this and I'm going to lose that and that's going to fall apart. And I get afraid. And then that fear leads me into a terrible bondage. And the bondage is this. I've got to do better. I've got to do more. Here's what Paul says. The only way to complete this race is to do it the same way you got into it. By believing what God told you. And what did God tell you? That if you believe in my word, Jesus, I will give you righteousness that will last forever. So when you wake up tomorrow after having a really stupid, sinful night, do you know what you need to be reminded of? That God's grace is greater than your what? than your sin. So you don't have to count. You just need to let it go. And when you deal with people who count, remind them of the promise of God. Because the only way to finish this thing is to do it the same way we got into it. By accepting Jesus and what he did for us through faith in him. Can I get an amen? Listen, we're all prisoners of sin. But aren't you grateful that all the counting that God did simply went to Jesus and he paid the debt for us so we don't have to count anymore. Listen, you want a motivation for doing the right thing? Accept Jesus' work on the cross for you. Learn that that... Listen, the minute you learn that God doesn't count anymore, you'll be motivated to do the right thing. Because the same love that got you into this thing will be the same love that makes you better at this thing. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul. Wow, what a...
what an amazing man that you filled with your spirit and with truth. So God, my prayer is, is that you would teach us all this, that you put people in our lives to teach us this, that this hanging on, this guilt, the shame, this, all of this stuff is just unnecessary. The reality is that you did what you did for us because we were in bondage to the sin that works within us. And you counted it, God. You counted every bit of it. And you placed the weight of that debt upon your son. And Jesus paid that price by dying on the cross for us. And you proved the weight of that sin was not greater than your promise. And you brought him out of the tomb. We accepted that in faith. We accepted that because you loved us. And my prayer for every person in this room, for everybody watching online, is we'll get better at living in it so we can finish this thing the same way we started it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.